Welcome to Get Your Rocks Off with Mick Wall, the world's leading rock and metal writer. Each week, he'll unpack stories, stories that you won't find in print. So pour yourself a Jack and Coke and get ready to get your rocks off. This episode is brought to you by the Get Your Store. For all of your Get Your Rocks Off merch, including t-shirts, face masks, and yep, Hotel Tropicana coffee mugs, head over to getyourstore.com. Now, John, <clears throat> yes. just before we began recording, um, you were reciting from memory, which is very impressive. Yes. In your condition. Um, <laughs> reciting from memory what I thought was a Bible passage. Yeah, just goes to show what you know. Which is nothing. Um, but could you recite it again, give people a clue for what we're talking about today? This is the Supper of the Mighty One. Lord of Lord, King of Kings, has returned to lead his children home, to take them to the new Jerusalem. Does it then go, whoa, whoa? Of course it doesn't, you silly man. <laughs> well, it's either an Iron Maiden lyric. Oh, a, a, for a pa- God, I just pas- can't. I'm going to take my new bit of, listen to that. My new bit of Get Your Rocks Off alleged merchandise and wipe my forehead with it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In many animal species, that's a sign of aggression. <laughs> yeah. But in other species, it's more a sign of compliance. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we're not talking about Iron Maiden. We're not discussing the Bible. No. We, are dis- we could, we, but we won't. Well, we're going to discuss progressive Well, we're rock. discussing the first book of the Bible... Genesis. Yeah, so he's got it. He's got it. He's got yeah, it. Well, I'm a he's got it. God. Um, uh, now, the, the prog rock. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, you were just quoting Genesis, but here's the thing: prog is such an enormous subject. Enormous. That it's one of those we may have to return to. Oh, someday. I think we will because. You know, we, we've got to do a couple of Marillion specials, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. l- let's start yeah. with Marillion by, yeah, saying, right. this, by yeah. saying this. Yeah. If it wasn't for Supper's Ready by yeah. Genesis, yeah. there would never yeah. have been a Marillion. How there about would not. that? Well, no, you're right. You're right. I mean, the Marillion, a part of the uh, a movement I was very, very much a supporter of when I was at college. Well, you were sort of a part the new, of The new wave of progressive rock british progressive rock which consisted of marillion of course at the forefront galloping over the hill like the madmen they were but also from just up the road from me in reading in rockstar in Ro- Row. Well, no and just up the road from you in reading may well no John no no, no. Martin, sitting between Russ us ballard who was the other one roger taylor uh i can't remember now who was mm. it i don't remember who knows? We, but sitting between us geographically, the town of Reading, from whence came Twelfth Night, there was Solstice, there was Palace. A, a bit further down the M40, Aylesbury, from whence came Marillion. That's right. This is this is prog rock heaven. And then here. all the way to London, from whence came nobody. Yeah, because <laughs> they weren't the, the Floyd. In prog rock. The Floyd come from around. You well, know, Cambridge. Where... They're more yeah. Cambridge. There you go. And also, now that's interesting. You mentioned the Floyd because. Are we including Pink Floyd amongst the progressive rock giants well, of the 70s and 80s? They're, they're, they're part of what you would term the big three, aren't they? Genesis, yep. mm-hmm. Floyd, mm-hmm. yes. They're your original big three with the, the tull galloping along behind on one leg. <laughs> we'll talk hopping. more. Je- we'll literally <laughs> hopping. Literally hopping along behind. So you've got those guys. Then you've got the second wave, Marillion. Twelfth Night, Palace, Solstice. Well, you I throw say in. That. You yeah, say yeah. that. I mean, no one remembers them now. You say that, um, but there was a blurring of the lines because what we now, like you just said, the big three. I would agree with you. That's how I would think of the origins of prog. But and it's an important but. Can I just ask? Are you being going to be serious now? 
you make I am always okay. Okay. everything just, I say is I deadly serious. Get it in my head. Yeah, okay. Whether this um, is going to be a serious point. This is a serious point. What we now call prog rock, and I speak as someone who uh, bought Dark Side of the Moon when it came out. <laughs> who bought Selling England well, by a, the Pound a, when it came out. What a visionary out. you were buying Dark Side of the Moon. No one no, else did that. No. Well, when it came out, they didn't. It was oh, a year later, it was a Oh, everyone. Oh, rubbish. No, no, rubbish. Only me. Nonsense. I was the only one that bought Dark Side of the Moon <laughs> when it came out. And a remarkable claim. That must be like this. why this pair of panties <laughs> that I've got. My oh, get your rocks off. Merchandise well, look, says, "Get your rocks off with Mick Wall." That's the that's name why, of the That's why it says see? that because because it's the name. Because you podcast. bought Pink Floyd. Yeah, you know. Oh, I had the. I preferred their first album. Yeah. No, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. no, I preferred no, no, them, no, I preferred not, them when they were called silly. I preferred them when as, they were called as, the Dinky Donkey Doos. As Jim Steinman. <laughs> semi-humorously described his own work as silly. I think you're being silly in a Steinman-esque way. No, no, let me make my serious point. Now he's stripping off. My serious point, which is these days, if you talk to these dyed-in-the-wool people that consider themselves prog rock Why would you talk to them? Why? Shut up and fucking listen. What they're thinking of is keyboards going... Widdly, 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 yeah. widdly, 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 widdly. Now, ELP. Genesis qualify for that. Widdly, 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 widdly. Yes, qualify for that. ELP. Yeah. Didn't yeah. even bother with a guitarist. No. Fuck that. More room for diddly, diddly, widdly, 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 widdly. Pink Floyd, there was never any widdly, widdly, widdly. No, no, but there were big keyboards. Yeah, but not widdly, widdly, widdly. And here is my point, is that Pink Floyd superseded Genesis and Yes and the whole thing that we call prog by the fact that their first album was psychedelic pop, you know, was kind of Edmund Lear, was kind of uh, uh, Alice down the rabbit hole, you know. It was that kind of English whimsy, psychedelic, mushroom magic mushroom tea and yes by the time you get to 1973 and the release of dark side of the moon absolutely you're talking about a group that that in my view completely qualify as if you like progressive rock but that wasn't their starting point that was a position they arrived at after about yeah five, no, but five you could hours. say that you could say the same about genesis you make from genesis to revelation under the Direction of Jonathan King, their former uh, schoolmate. A pop genius, by yeah, the their way. former schoolmate. Uh, you know, he was a couple of years ahead of them at Charterhouse. They were all at Charterhouse. Public school. Yeah. Public school near where I live. Yeah. See, there's <laughs> Brian May, John Hotter, <laughs> Russ Ballard, Charterhouse with Jonathan <laughs> King. And yeah. and Mike Rutherford. Yes, that's right. I, 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 well, yes, yes. Yeah, Tony and, Banks. And see, Roger to, I see Tony Banks in Guildford. I see Tony right. Banks in Guildford sometimes, but I haven't been to of his house. Of course you I, do. I think I should maybe of course follow you. him. Tony Widley 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 Banks, yeah. who more or less invented the genre himself. Well, here's the interesting thing. You say that. You say that. But Genesis, I mean, I think, yeah, they have this early skirmish with Jonathan King where they're doing this kind of sort of slightly ethereal pop, you know, very influenced by the Bee Gees, weirdly. It's all very strange if you ever listen to that album. Um, Sorry. Very influenced by the, the Bee Gees. Jonathan King wanted there's them... A, there's a statement you don't yeah, hear every day. Jonathan King wanted them to be like the Bee Gees. Was it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, they, exactly like that. Yeah. And Gabriel could do that. Gabriel could do that. Yeah, he had that kind of slightly soulful pitch to his voice. PGBG Gabriel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but come their second album, once, once, once they've broken away from Jonathan King. They break away from Jonathan King and they're sort of guided in the early years by Anthony Phillips, who ends up leaving very the quickly. The drummer. Fuck <laughs> Oh, this is going to be a long podcast. He's not the drummer. No, oh. no, he's not the fucking drummer. No, no. Anthony Phillips, 
acoustic guitarist. Was it before he was a drummer? <laughs> so they end up playing. They they end up playing essentially with uh, Tony Banks, uh, Mike Rutherford, and Anthony Phillips all playing twelve string acoustic guitar, and they make Trespass, which is their second album. Beautiful album, still very much a favourite of mine. Favourite Genesis album. Of mine. <laughs> it is. It is. You Fuck the, you. Were it you is. the only one that bought oh, it? Oh, maybe John? I was. So what if I, I was? I think you were the only yeah, one uh, that, yeah, uh, for years. Uh, yeah. You know, until then, the rest of us yeah, caught and up. The, and then there is the. And then there is. But it, again, that's it's you know very acoustic. It says there's not did huge. There's not huge was, amounts of. Did key. they think Anthony Phillips was going to play the drums? Is that why yeah, they were? That's all right. On yeah, they're all on acoustic. Yeah, Anthony, what are you doing? You're supposed to be. Playing the, drums. playing the drums, bro. Um, but yeah, the, so, so, but there is uh, the, probably the only really keyboard heavy song on Trespass is The Knife, which was their big sort of center point of their tell my life is about to begin, tell me that I'm a hero, promise me all your violent dreams, light up the sky with your anger. Now in this ugly world, are going to fight for your freedom, which was the big center point of their early live shows you but take, you didn't take your meds but they, they, the they meds. then place an ad He's off the meds they place an ad in the melody maker as you used to do in those days when you were seeking people because anthony phillips can't take the pressure of being in an unsuccessful band because he, he hasn't leaves. learned the fucking no, drums he, he he can't drum he can't he, he goes off and makes loads of whimsical solo albums um but joins them come cometh from twickenham <laughs> cometh the great Steve Hackett, who trans sort of essentially transforms the band, goes onto electric guitar, they make Nursery Crime as did, their third Steve album. Did Steve have like a, a five-neck guitar? He didn't. No, but Rutherford played the twin neck because he played... Oh, Rutherford he played, the twin. But, but his twin neck, amazingly, fantastic, his twin neck was a bass on the top yes. and a guitar on the bottom. Yes. So that was like super cool. That's because he had three arms. Yeah, he could it? do they anything. Do, dom, they could dom. all do anything. But it, but they make... You know, you actually made the serious point about Floyd coming out of this, you know, Edward Lear, Lewis Carroll, English whimsy. This is very much becomes what Genesis do from Nursery Crime onwards. Yeah, those great sort of Paul Whitehead sleeves that are on Nursery Crime and Foxtrot, two albums that come, you know, pretty close together. Um, and you know, they're exploring these ideas of Englishness, these slightly psychedelic. That's what I was going to say. English, yeah, very English. It is very English. And Gabriel takes it to the extreme with this imagery. You know, you'll see him on stage in those days in the red dress with the fox head on, the flower head, all of those sort of things that he was doing. Amazing things when you look back on them. There was a great quote from Gabriel years after he left. So you have to temper the quote with the fact that he'd left. Yeah. And he said, people used to accuse, in the early days, you know, the, the Watcher and the, the Foxes. Watcher head. of the Skies, yeah. He said, um, people were always saying, we just took the music of Yes and, and added the theatricality of Alice Cooper. Oh. He said, and of course, that's exactly what we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose they, I mean, I, I really, I mean, they're one of those but that bands. that period was extreme. Exactly, yeah, Bowie one of those bands where you go, I, I don't know where that came I mean, I think... Yeah, the central song at that point, before they write Supper's Ready, which is on Foxtrot, the central song is the musical box, which is on Nursery Crime, the, the, you know, the centrepiece. And it's this, considering they're all about 20 at this stage, it's a song, again, it incorporates this whimsy. It's about this girl who's playing, well, you see it on the cover of the album, playing croquet and beheads her childhood friend with the croquet mallet. This, this kid How who's, English exactly, can you get? Yeah, whose spirit goes inside the musical box. But then the end section... Hang on, which is, this, I didn't know this. So the musical box is about it's a, a fairy tale. Uh, who if you look heads at, her friend with a croquet, croquet mallet. mallet. Right. And he, croquet his, mallet. his spirit goes inside the musical box when she plays it. Oh, it's a, it's a male friend. Yeah, male friend. So there's a sexual he, he's element. A, he, well, this is the thing. He, he's, like, he's sort of... Four, they're both children when this happens. At the end of the musical box... When Gabriel wears the old man mask, the spirit comes out of the musical box, and he's an old man. All my life has, you know, all this, all this time has passed me by, and he's missed his whole life. He basically went in as a child, comes out as an old man, and he realised he's essentially missed his entire sex life. Down to this and bitch it, yeah, with the mallet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and does this, he take his revenge? This, Put a cap in her. What is this song about regret and pain that you know, of life passing you by? And you think. That, what a fucking song to write when you're 20. You know, what a song. It's it, and comparable, it. comparable, I think, to Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, yeah. And in particular, that track, Time. 
Yeah. Written by a young man singing uh, One Day You Look... One Day... What is it? One Day You... Oh, fuck me. What's the lyrics on One Day You Look Behind and... Ten yeah, years I mean, have got behind you. Yeah. No one told you when to run. You missed the start. Yeah. Incredibly wise exactly, words exactly, for a young end, man. Yeah. You know, the end of the musical box. Why don't you touch me, touch me, touch me now? Because it's just the time's gone. It's finished. It's over. You know, this is my last chance. And Hackett plays that amazing guitar solo that I think, you know, when you listen to the tone he gets on that, you hear what really influences Brian May. Loads of guitarists really hear that Hackett sound yeah. and become incredibly influenced by it. Yeah. So, okay, we've bigged up So Genesis, Floyd let's and not Genesis. Forget yes. Let's not forget yes. And, and again, Rick Waitman, who comes from... <laughs> He does. does he live in your well, road no, but, as well? well no, he lived he in Cam- does, he lived he? in Camberley. He lived in Camberley just up the road. Yeah, from you. Yeah, fucking hell. So there's Brian May, yeah. Russ Ballard, John Hotton. But you know, who also lived Steve in Camberley. Steve Hackett, who came. No, no, Steve Wakeman, Hackett comes from Twickenham. Roger Taylor, and at the end of the street, Charterhouse yeah. Public School. <laughs> Charterhouse Public School. But then you've got uh, uh, then who was I saying? Oh, Rick Wakeman, yeah, lived in Camberley apparently with his with his first with wife, his cloak, the, f- the first with his mis- first yeah, cloak, yeah, with the first cloak okay, and his first well, wife. Yes, I'm going to come in here. Yes, very similar to Genesis, very similar to Floyd. You know, Steve Howe had been in Tomorrow, who were a 1967 psychedelic mm. group, same as Pink Floyd, gigged together, um, but. Yes, again, just slightly after the Floyd, just slightly. And for me, they are building on a on an idea whose time has come, which is, number one, albums suddenly become more important than singles. Um, I think 1968 was the first year in, this, in the UK where album sales were more than single sales. Right, that was right. an enormous change. Turning point. Brought about by the Beatles, by Dylan, by all the original kind of album, more album-oriented groups. But suddenly in 67, you get the Doors, who do the first ever 11-minute track mm. on their debut album, which was considered, wow. You know, yeah. You've got Sergeant Pepper, which isn't 11-minute tracks, but Who's is, that by? is presented as a cohesive, conceptual uh, piece. I, I wouldn't know anything about that. No, it's before your time. Didn't deviate, Back when music was good. It didn't you know. deviate my transem. No, no, whatever that is. Um, so th- here is my point: is uh, that Pink Floyd? Please get to your point. It's about yes, we're talking about. <laughs> yes, is that um, Pink Floyd lost Sid Barrett, which. <laughs> There's no equivalent. The, the nearest equivalent this is, is like Genesis next losing to someone on Peter the... Gabriel. <laughs> like, or years later when Yes lost John Anderson. But here's one of the things they definitely all did have in common, oh. which is interesting. Gabriel, <laughs> uh, Roger Waters, Dave Gilmore, <laughs> Phil Collins, John Anderson, all uh. sang, all sang with an English, and Sid Barrett, all sang with an English True. accent. True, true. And that, not even the Beatles or the Stones sang with English accents. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Bowie. Was Ian the Anderson. Other one. Ian Anderson did as well. Very much so. Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he? Yeah. Well, you would think. I mean, they, yeah. Again, that. You know, I know you're not a huge Tull fan, but they, they've. <laughs> I am not remotely. Yeah, not remotely. So, but again, it, it's very, very English. Songs, oh yeah. No, songs from the words Minstrel in the Gallery, all that stuff. Who else would stand on one leg, dressed as the court exactly. jester, well, you know, I mean, playing a sodding flute? Exactly. You know, Anderson. Ian Anderson. A really interesting character who writes the first. Doesn't you know, he fucking live down your road as well? He does. No, I went to his house. If you remember from down the previous your road, podcast, yeah. was it? Yeah. But he, he writes in the middle of all this. You know, when you've got Dark Side of the Moon and Tales of Topographic Oceans, and you know these other concepts. Classic. Ian Anderson writes Thick as a Brick, which is essentially a piss take concept <laughs> album with one song on both sides of the record, but. A, pretty much a minor masterpiece and came in a, came in an album sleeve that was made to look like a newspaper in which he'd written all of the articles which were about 
that what had happened on the album, which is the discovery of this eight-year-old poet who's a genius, who becomes known as Little Milton. And the, the concept album's about this, this kid poet. You know, it's a really... And you think, hang on, these guys, all of these guys, they're writing about esoteric, quite difficult subjects, but doing it and framing it in totally original and brilliant ways. And do you know what that reminds me of as well? Is uh, And this is probably a little-known fact... Um, GNR Lies. Do you remember the GNR Lies? I've <laughs> got all the headlines on it. Yeah. Axel told me, um, I just bought him a new pair of tracksuit bottoms. Yeah. Elasticated <laughs> Sports Direct. And uh, <laughs> I bumped into him at Sports Direct. <laughs> yeah. And he yeah. said to me, He'd heard the new. Uh, the new, <laughs> new trainers. It's like one of those people who goes and buys trainers on the day they come out. That's right. He's there, yeah. but it's not trainers, it's, it's the elasticated waistband <laughs> tracksuit bottoms. <laughs> The ones with the stripe. Yeah. He's there. He's I'm there. trying to get the same. I want the pair in black. That's it. Sorry, Axel you can't, already uh, got the Waxy's got the black. Axel got the black one. So yeah. I had to get the ones in white. Yeah. You know? um, he said to me, you know, I said, I love the headline thing on the GNR Lies theme. He went, thick as a brick. Yeah. I went, don't fucking call me so, names, you bastard. Yeah, yeah. He said, no, no, I'm saying tall. Yeah. I went, oh, of course, I forgot. You are a tall aficionado. Yeah. As is Steve Harris. Oh, Steve Harris, for mm. sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, that's it. Now, actually, that's interesting you mentioned that because um, Iron Maiden, for me, if, okay, the 70s, everything we're talking about, you didn't say prog was widdly widdly. That came out in the 80s. Okay, at this point, prog is a is a known yeah, thing, and yeah. d- we're dismissive of it. It was a thing of its time. Blah, you blah, blah. dismissive? I wasn't. <laughs> um, I was the Marillion biographer. Well, you were. Well, we're going to talk about this, the new wave of prog. In well, a in a minute, in a minute. Well, look, get on with it well, then. I'm trying, aren't I? Oh, um, but your vaguely but, recalled but, memories but, of progressive rock bands. But. but because we were in the realm of, well, it's widdly widdly, we had lost sight of the fact that, in fact, progressive rock um, was experimental rock, was album rock, uh, could take any musical form. The whole idea was that it would extend it, add depth, had different references. And on that basis, Your Honour, I submit that Iron Maiden, because people go, well, you can't really hear the Tull influence, but you can. Because how many concept albums have Maiden done? Yeah. How many gargantuan tracks have they done? And how English are Iron Maiden? Yeah, that's all true. All true. Um, I agree. I mean, you know, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner yeah. could not have been recorded by an American group because they've never fucking heard of the Rhyme of the a- What would their equivalent be? Jesse James rides a fucking horse. Yeah. Did he ride a horse? Who knows? Who knows? They made it. He the Jones. By Jovi. By Jovi says they did. <laughs> says they did. By <laughs> Jovi thinks everybody rides yeah. a steel horse. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I say Iron Maiden, Your Honour. I submit Iron Maiden. Yeah. A progressive. Rock well, I, yeah. I mean, I kind of agree with uh, you. The other two we, we won't bother talking about here. I think, but certainly a prog rock bands, but uh, a prog rock artist, Kate Bush. Definitely, you know, for me, absolutely a prog and, rock and she artist. was schooled early yeah, on by, by Dave, Dave Gilmore. Gilmore. Absolutely, he schooled her he from, a, from a schoolgirl. Yeah. And and Radiohead, you know, who absolutely OK Computers, one of the great concept albums. Yeah, in I my totally view. agree. Yeah. Or, or even Kid A. Yeah, Kid A. Yeah, I mean, they go off into electronica and all the rest of it, but they're at heart. It's I, a concept know, album. A, they've got it's a few. They've got a few Marillion albums in their collection. Well, you know, Radiohead are from sure. this part of the world. They're, John. they're from Oxford. Well, Abingdon, actually from Abingdon, oh, from which Abing- is literally just next town up. Right, yeah. And they used to have their rehearsal place in Didcot, which is just down right, the road. Right, see, yeah. And uh, they all went to that private school in Abingdon. Yeah. You tell me they, thing you're that, telling me they didn't listen to Marillion? I don't think so. They went to a... Funnily enough, it wasn't Charterhouse. I didn't know yeah. there was more than one public school Did you not? where musicians went. But like Floyd, like Genesis... Like, mm. you know, the, the knobs in, I mean that in the posh way, posh knobs yeah. in, yes, Radio went to a private school. Yeah, I think there is something about that, you know. Well-educated yeah. music. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what? where do you, you know, where do you go if you don't want to write, 
you know, my baby done me all night long. Well, oh, I like that. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, I like I'll that. Where'd that, that come from? I'll just come up with it. My then. baby done me all night I was looking at my long. pair of Get Your Rocks Off panties. We're going to get on to the merch. We're going to get on to the oh, merch. It won't take long. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I can't remember what you're talking about. I'm going to talk about the second wave of prog now. Wait, let's get on to the Because that was amazing. Led by because, Maiden. Well, because if you were, if, you, if you fell into the sort of age group, the age group that I fell into, Genesis, yes, Floyd had all kind of, you know, broken into disparate pieces. You know, when I was first getting into music, every Gabriel solo album was amazing. He was still doing the, the one, two, three, fours yeah. at that point, you know, all like, Peter Gabriel. He was another one Peter who Gabriel. worked extensively with Kate Bush. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so you know, Peter Gabriel won. Fantastic album. Mm. You know, really, I love that album still. But all do, of, do, 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 climbing up on Salisbury Hill. I mean, that couldn't have been made by anybody. But <laughs> no, Peter no, Gabriel. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine. Yeah, that's Len, true. The new, have you heard the new Leonard yeah. Skinner yeah. single? Yeah. <laughs> do, 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 yeah. Climbing up <laughs> on Salisbury Hill. Yeah, yeah. Very true. Very true. <laughs> but he, but uh, yeah. But all of those guys were sort of somewhat out of reach. They weren't really gigging. You know, if they were gigging, they were gigging in huge arenas or in America or whatever. Along comes this second wave of prog, Marillion, Twelfth Night, the bands I mentioned. All of a sudden, we could go and see them, and we could kind of support this as our version of you know having heard about all the early days of genesis and yes and all of those guys you know we the gig everyone when i was a uh, a youthful music fan the gig everyone said they would have wanted to be at was genesis at the rainbow in 72 yeah i was where, you know when gabriel wore the fox head and all I of this there. we all wore you fox know, heads but we couldn't do that days. but suddenly we had fish who okay he didn't have a fox head but he had a grendel mask and he had the face paint and, and it, we, he used you know, to have stage costumes. He like had stage costumes. The sons used to put an army jacket the, the other on thing and a helmet he nicked, and come out with a gun. Yeah, I mean, going back very briefly to the drummer, Anthony Phillips, the reason Gabriel developed the long stories that he would tell in between songs, <clears throat> uh, which ultimately led to him writing, I think, something on the back of Genesis Live, which William Friedkin, the director of The Exorcist, then wanted him to turn into a film, which is part of how the lamb lies down on Broadway comes which leads to Gabriel leaving Genesis. Long story short, but the reason Gabriel used to do that was it took him so fucking long to tune up three 12 string tuning. guitars. Always tuning. tuning. Yeah, always tuning because 12 string guitars go out of tune. You just have to look at those Especially fucking things those and they go out of tune. It wasn't all yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he'd tell these stories while they were tuning up. Fish nicks this. They, you know, Marillion don't need to tune up, but Fish nicks this and he starts doing stories in between the songs. Because and, Fish wasn't much of a talker. No, stage, no, very it? rare to be <laughs> stuck in a lift with Fish for six hours while he rambled on about this, that and the other, you know. I tell yeah. you what, though, it, good point you make, but because I'm a, a, a tad older than you. A soupçon. A soupçon of, of age difference. I mean, negligible. You, but, you wouldn't um, tell by looking at us. If you looked at us, you'd, you'd say, say... those guys are twins. People that have met you, they've said, I met your older brother. Yeah. <laughs> he... He he doesn't look a lot like you, <laughs> no. but but he definitely looks older. I, I go no, don't don't be like that. <laughs> um, because I had bought Selling England by the Pound, Land yeah. Lies Down when they came out. Yeah. Because I was the only man in the world that had bought Dark Side <laughs> of the Moon. Um, no, particularly Genesis. I remember one of the very very first stories I did for Kerrang was in time for the Fugazi tour. Right. Except the, that was the second Marillion album. It was. Except the album didn't come out till the end of the tour because yeah. there were fuck-ups, and were uh, which Fugazi's happened in those days. Well, well, that's what Fugazi actually means, is, is it? fucked yeah. up, yeah. Um, so all I had, they said, OK, well, you're going to go on the road with Marillion. I'm like, oh, no, because I really didn't rate them. Um, uh we haven't got the new album to send you, so we're just going to send you the first one, Script for a Jester's yeah. Tea. This is a like, brilliant title. Well, it's yeah, a but the brilliant title. Script for a, yeah. This is the guy that bought Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Mm. Cuckoo, yeah. cuckoo. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so I put it on. 
So here I am once more in the playground of the broken hearts. One more experience, one more entry in a diary self-penned. Just another emotional suicide. Overdosed on sentiment and pride. Oh, that's too late to say I love you. And it goes on, it goes on, it goes on, and then, and this is where this comes from. It does all of that and then it stops and you hear I'm losing on the swings I'm losing on the roundabouts Do you know where that came from? No You don't, so I'm going to tell you Go on then Not the words, because obviously losing on the Oh, you meant the music I think the words Mark Kelly told me a few years later when I was working on their book. Mark Kelly, the drummer in Marillion. <laughs> a keyboard player who did the... He goes, I'll tell you where it comes from, but I'm worried that if I tell you and you put it in the book, I'll get sued. Yeah. I went, oh, shut up. So he told me. Um, that for Small Faces song, I think Lazy Sunday Afternoon. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that, wouldn't it be nice? To get on with your neighbours. Cockney rock. Oliver. I'm doing me Cockney walk. What, mate? All right, geezer. Get on with me neighbours. So Mark Kelly, he said Nix it was like it. he said it's like six in the morning. They'd completely run out of time, and he's just desperate. That's the to... thing. They wrote that song in the studio because it was. If you were a Meridian fan, it was tremendously exciting when they signed to EMI because we'd sort of been following them, you know. Tremendous. And they, yeah, and they did their first single, which was Market Square Heroes. And if you bought the twelve inch, which obviously you, you had, got Grendel. Had Grendel's on the B side, which was their huge stage song where fish, fish would wear the mask, you know. And actually, you know what? I was said to him, and I, I, because in those early days, fish was, I mean, you might say somewhat verbose. And there are some funny lyrics, on, especially on Script for a Jester's Tear, the, the uh, fragrant aphrodisiac. The withered tuberose of Chelsea Monday I mean, is what, a particular favorite. How what, many joints did you yeah, have to smoke yeah, to get to, to come that. up with that one? But Grendel, which is based on that book by John Gardner, which is an interpretation of Beowulf, but told from Grendel the monster's point of view. A fine work of literature. And actually, Fish does, I think, a bloody knock-up job of, of interpreting that. Fish it's really good. Writer. Yeah, it's really, really good, Grendel. So, the lyrics are great. And so we, to get we, back we, to me. But no, can I just say, we worshipped that fucking song. <laughs> did we? And we knew they were recording this this album in, I think they did it in Marquee Studios, didn't they? It was They did it in central Maybe. London. It was when Marquee had a very little studio at the back. Mm. And they recorded it there. And they wrote the title song in the studios anyway, because the rest of them, The Web, Forgotten Sons, um, He Knows You Know, uh, Chelsea Monday, all of those, Garden Party, all they of those, those were big live favourites yeah. at, the, at the time. Well, Mark said he came up with it because uh, almost as a placeholder, because he couldn't think of anything. It was yeah. like six in the morning, they'd run out of time. So he just did that thinking, I'll come back. Yeah. And it, they never it did. Were, so, so listen, I get this record and I'm listening. And I'm going, this is all well and good. But I mean, I, I still now on Spotify, like when I'm working at my desk, I have my big old desktop computer and then I have this little laptop next to it. And I use the laptop to play music on Spotify. Right. And it's amazing what you find you come back to. You yeah. Go, What's your favourite song? I don't know. But it's amazing what you find yourself listening to, especially with a Spotify where you can just go pick anything, you mm. know. And I've found myself in the last year or so listening a lot to Selling England by the Power. Oh, yeah. It's a fantastic Great album, album, yeah. And I bought it when it came out, and the only one probably to do so. And um, so listening to Script for Jester's Tear was like, I really like this, but I've already got Selling England yeah. by the Pound, and, and that was yeah. better. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'll go out on the road. And I was kind of stealing myself for this, you know, I'm going to have to pull them up on this. And then the very first show I saw, um, an extraordinary thing I could not have predicted was how raucous the gig was. It wasn't like a Genesis gig in the early days where Hackett would be seated. Yeah, where everyone sat wrapped watching. Yeah, yeah and, yeah. and often the audience would be sat cross-legged. Or, yeah, very you know, much so, while they tuned up. <laughs> Marillion, everybody stood from the word mm. go. 
And the minute with his verbose, well, no, no, they weren't verbose, but very, very complicated lyrics. So here I am once more. Mm. The whole crowd. So here, here I, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they sang the whole song all the way mm. through. And they did it with all the songs. Yeah. And I was, I was literally overwhelmed by this. I thought I'd never seen that at any concert I'd ever been to. Let, let alone one where it isn't, whoa, yeah. whoa. This was, you know, yeah, they, losing that whole, the swing. Yeah, I mean, that whole, I remember going on the script tour. I and saw, that's when I realised they were different. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, on the script tour, I saw them, yeah, I think one of the early shows was at Guildford, at the Civic, the old Civic Hall, and they opened with script for a jester's tear, and Fish just walked, because obviously the first bit is a cappella. Fish just walked on, so here I am. And I don't think the album, I think the album had only just come out. People already knew the worst of it. And the, the tour finished at Hammersmith Odeon, which was the first time they'd played there. And that was, as you described, the crowd at that went nuts for every song. And at the end, they played Grendel and they pretty much said, this is the last time we're going to play it. Because it, it was a bit of an albatross around their necks at that point. And, they, and he goes, Hammersmith, this is for you. And of course, the place goes nuts. <laughs> you know? But it was really, but yeah, they, you're right. They had a absolutely fervent following. And for years afterwards, in the fish years, I, I'm assuming it's happened since then occasionally, but every show I ever saw of them in this country, mm. in the UK, halfway through, or not even halfway through, but every now and again, someone would go, Grendel! Grendel, yeah, Grendel. They it's a way of kind of saying, yeah. I'm from yeah, the early days. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it, be going, don't fucking play yeah, yeah. anymore. Which is, which is a shame because it's, I, you know, I yeah, still stick four up. four hours fucking it's long. Not, it's only about 15 minutes. It's not Did you ever that drink long. a Grendel? No, I didn't. I've never had one of those, but I heard about them. Well, oh, me and your very dear old... saw several of them, yeah. Me and your dear old friend Ray Palmer, yeah. he was the photographer the first time yeah. I went away with them. And um, the very first night back at, you know, ye old hotel wherever we were, it was like... Right, let's have a Grendel. Um, and they were green. Yeah, and that was from the creme de mont, oh, which was geez. added specifically to, <laughs> to make, make it, make it green. green. Yeah, And I, there were actual measures. I had them written down. Right. Of course, I can't remember. Um, but it was like, you know, two parts Bacardi, two parts vodka. Mm. I mean, well, it was sure about 10 if, different... If fish was involved in its creation, I'm yeah. sure it was. And then, and then you had to put the creme de menthe in and shake yeah. it all up. And you'd have it in a pint glass. And, of course, it, it tasted very sweet. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. So you'd easily neck two or three. <laughs> oh, and then wake up at four in the yeah. morning yeah. in and the wrong room. you felt like Grendel. Mm. Yeah. yeah. In fact, you had turned into Integra a green yeah. monster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Fugazi was a sort of tremendous misstep, wasn't it? For I always well, felt, I feel it. I mean, I'm you know, as you know, I'm a bit of a brilliant fan, and uh, yes, I don't even mention that. I consider it their worst album by some do distance, you? Yeah, for oh. sure. Yeah, what? assassin, yeah, assassin. assassin, and it's got it's, it was really his classic second album great, there's syndrome. There's some great tracks on there, like Jigsaw, yeah, terrible, beautiful, Punch and Fugazi. Judy, awful. Incubus, a knockoff of several other things they'd done before. No, yes, no, no, yeah. sacrilege! Yeah. Punch, uh, punch, punch! I think you tell by a the Judy. by the punch, <laughs> punch, punch! A really Judy. terrible. I mean, really terrible. But they redeemed themselves instantly with misplaced childhood. Obviously. Well, did they? Um, no, of course they did. Mm. No, I, I liked Fugazi. I thought Assassin was a good track. Classic uh, prog. I always remember what was the, the um, uh, when they make um, uh, clutching at straws, and they do uh, what's the one about the marquee? You know, aren't I? short straw. No, 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 no. The the it was the single, and it was uh, I'm a marquee incommunicado. That's it. And, I'm a marquee veteran, uh, a multimedia bona fide celebrity. I always remember Mark Kelly saying. Uh, yeah, they want to start the gig with that, but I can't start the gig with it because it's it's too hard to play <laughs> at the start of the gig because it's like it's really the ultimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't do that at the start till I'm warmed up. If he got his cloak on, he got his Rick Wakeman cloak on, put his arms, crossed his arms. Yeah, yeah. Come easy, yeah. Come easy, Mark. Yeah, I mean, you listen to it now, you think, Jesus, how do you play that? It's like, yeah. Yeah, very difficult. But they, they, they mm. also 
had their, you know, Pink Floyd lost Sid Barrett, and then by the time you get to when Marillion are coming along, they've even lost Dave Gilmore and. You know that final, the final cut was all Roger Waters. Yeah, the yeah. and then they, and then Rog buggers off, and Dave comes back. <laughs> Genesis lost Peter Gabriel. Yes, but I mean, uh, yes, lost John Anderson, and then he came back. Yeah, and then Marillion, in a strange echo of future past. Yes, lose Fish. Fush. Now they bring in Steve, Steve Hogarth, who um, they end up making some amazing records with Steve they Hogarth. They do. But it ain't fish. And yeah, I know you say that, but the, you see, they've got so far past that point, it doesn't matter. They might have, but the fans maybe less so. I, I went to see Marillion, Steve Hogarth. I've seen them many times, but the most recent time, oh, I guess we're going back well over five years, five, six, seven years. And I went with a record label friend of ours who may or may not be called Dan <laughs> And he'd been saying to me that, do you think we could get Marillion back together with Fish? I could offer them a great deal for an album. And it was an anniversary of Misplaced Childhood, I think, was coming up. So it was at 85. So maybe it was 2000 and... No, it can't, can't have been 2000. 2015. It was coming... It was going to be... It's 2015 in two years' time. Wouldn't it be great? Mm. And I said, oh, I can do that. <laughs> so... Um, but let's go and see them. Yeah. Because Mark, Kelly, you live with, you know, Brian May. And, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. Who else was it? Tony fucking Banks, you know. I live near Mark Kelly. Yeah. So we went to, we had a meal. Oh, no, I'd rather say, I want to come to the gig. So we go to the gig and it, they were great, absolutely great. And then they came out for the encore. Uh, it wasn't Kaylee, it was... It was... Lavender. No, no, it wasn't one of the singles. It was a Fish-era classic. So it could have been script or could have been whatever. And I swear to God, John, we've been there all night. It was a great show. First of all, they come out and they do this. And the place just explodes. There were grown men with tears in their eyes. Yeah, and like, it, made look, you realize, look. it made you realise that if Fish and them ever did get back together... Fucking hell! Would that no. be a night to remember? I don't. Yeah, maybe. I. I kind of. Maybe. And, and I. I speak as a as a Do fan you of live the band. Next door to Hogarth. This yeah. is what we're going to discover now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. He lives down the. He lives down the fucking. I, bro- I think he's. You great. and him meet on quad bikes <laughs> on your way to visit Brian May and radio. No, you? no, 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 no. No, I just think it's gone too far past that point. And equally, I think if you look at the video of their show they did at the Albert Hall recently. Um, for the last album, when they did the first show, they did at the Albert Hall, and when they do the Levers at the end, the Levers was this epic track from their last record. I mean, again, it's it, it's that exact reaction. It's that people. I mean, I think it, it genuinely is. They, there's a kind of communion between them and their fans that I think Fish coming back in would probably damage in some way. I can see the short term gain. In that it would be a great gig or whatever. Well, yeah, but, but that's all we talk about. Well, no, you said Dante, Dante wanted to do an album, get of them back course, together. Because in those days you They're did never, an album to, to listen, justify listen to the fact never that these days you don't need to do that. Zero chance of that happening. Well, you I say would that. Suggest. You say that. Well, I then went for dinner with Mark. But yeah, but I'm li- going to tell you something you don't know. Oh, go on then. You went for dinner with Mark, and Mark did what everyone would ever do and say, well, "All right, well, you know." Go on then. He was up for it. Yeah. Hogarth was up for it because they'd reached it so happened they'd reached a moment where they needed a break yeah and they were already talking about maybe we'll have a year off or something and Mark was going he went and talked to them anyway Steve was fine with it yeah I think he, I think he's certainly confident enough that there was one dissenting voice. I can guess who it was. <laughs> and, and and the message was basically not, not in a yeah, million yeah. fucking years. Okay, so that didn't happen. But cut to... Um, we drove past the pub the other day and I was trying to... Because we now have to think back pre-pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember anymore. Fairly sure. Pretty sure it was summer of 2018. And they were re-releasing the classic Fish era. Yeah. A lot of it remastered by Stephen Wilson, yes, who we are now yeah. going to go to next after this. Yeah. Um, 
and I was helping them make a DVD, you know, to go with it. And so they actually got the four guys and Fish. Oh, I to, remember to, that. Together yeah. in a pub in Oxford. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I spent the whole day with them. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of sad because I interviewed every single one of them individually, and I interviewed them collectively. Right. And I was there all day. And it was all about those days because it's these albums. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, I mean, it's just. But the, in, the, in that context, I felt legitimate. It was legitimate to say, hey, you're all in the room together yeah. right now. What about it? And it was the same outcome. Yeah. There were, if it was a majority decision, they'd be back together now because Fish so up for it. Oh, Fish would back, be up back for then. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but there was one heavily dissenting voice, and and he was the other great songwriter in the group. Yeah, and he was also the least Scottish person. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Everything that Fish is big, and not just physically, but just personality-wise, fills every space he's in very much a vision for what he would like to do next musically or whatever. This other guy, totally different, <laughs> much more English, same strong vision for what he wants to do next. But, you know, Mr. Nice, Mr. Nice guy, pleasant to have around, yeah. no ripples. No, but I think there's a spiky but it's those element. Opposites yeah, it, they work, yeah, yeah. And I think it's just and slash. Yeah, it is. Works. I th it works well. I mean, I think that you're absolutely right about that. And it, and it, you know, um, their visions just don't align align at all. And I so, think there's also too many wounds for it to. I mean, it would be the first argument would blow it all apart. That would be the problem. But I, and also, my, I think my point to I, them was to Mark Kelly was listen. We live in the classic rock era. Yeah. Do you, do you think, I won't name names, but do you think, you know, all these great bands that get back together, do you think they're all hanging out in the dressing yeah. room? No, they're not, no, but it's it's that thing of, I think, and I think, again, speaking, this is a, a purely as a fan speaking, Marina, one of those few bands who haven't lost their creativity. They're still making interesting records. To me, I still really enjoy their music. And their and, last, and Fish their is last, most yeah, album, their last couple, of, you know, their last couple of albums have been really, really strong. And I just think they, you know, they do have to weigh up. Well, are we going to damage that by going back and doing a legacy thing? I don't know. I don't know if they would my, or not. My, I think my, it's a toss up. I, I, I don't think that's why they wouldn't do it I, because I don't think it would affect the legacy at all. No. I think it would burnish the brand and maybe get people actually buying. Yeah, something maybe it would. Maybe it would. It'd be a really I, interesting I one. I don't think that's the problem. The problem yeah. is personality. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But and again, how do you resolve? You can never resolve that, can you? Because your personality is <coughs> your personality. My point is, is that in this day and age, the mechanisms are in place so that even if you hate each other's guts, you don't even have to see each other till you're on stage. Yeah, but it, it, yeah, I don't know. But I think if you've got conflicting emotions about it, I guess you're thinking, how well can I perform if I'm that conflicted by this stuff and that it's churning up memories that I don't want to have? Okay. It's making me feel uncomfortable. La last time I saw Marillion was at what used to be called the Town and Country Club mm. in London. It's now called what the, the O2 Whatever. Forum or yeah. something like that. It's a stand-up show, 1,000, 1,500. Yeah. It's a lovely gig. Okay, I'm really happy with my mates doing the forum. Or I could spend next summer doing two nights at the O2 Arena, headlining festivals, and after three months coming home with a couple of million in the bank. Mate, I yeah, don't have maybe, to love yeah, anybody yeah. for that. Yeah. I don't even have to fucking like... I, I work with people all the time I don't like yeah. for way less reward. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it completely. And You're people right, yeah, going yeah. fucking ballistic. Yeah. Look at when Guns N' Roses got back together. Did was I kept seeing pictures of these people at their shows with the shirts and and I'm going, You're like nineteen. You you weren't even fucking born yeah, when yeah. this group meant jack shit. Um did you go and see the Axel years? You probably did. Yeah, I but wonder this how is much more yeah, exciting. Yeah. Because it's that authenticity. You know, it, you'll have people going to see Marillion that don't even own any of the fucking records. It's just a big, nice thing to go to, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
Mm. You wouldn't go and see Meridian with Tish. I, I wonder if I would or not. I mean, I'd, oh fuck off! You'd be, you'd oh, be there. Would, yeah, I probably would. Of course, you would go together. Especially, especially if I was backstage. We would go. Especially to... if I had to. Especially if it was a limo to the, uh, <laughs> and I didn't have to do much. I'd go. <laughs> I went to visit Fish at his home again a couple of years ago, and um, some guy picked me up to drive me back to the airport. Yeah. Afterwards, fucking hell, isn't? Yeah. I don't know why I brought that up. He was, yeah, no, it wasn't fun. You need a limo. You need a limo. Yeah, you do, exactly, yeah. 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 If they're going to do that, listen, lads, if you're going to do that, I'm, I'm in. But if you're not sending a limo, I don't think you should reform. I'm thinking of a, of a stage. I mean, Mark was going, he can't sing anymore. I said, no. nobody can fucking sing. No one Play sings t- anymore. Play you've got a guy in the wings and you've got the technology. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about this. Yeah, we did meet Yeah, but Fish, Fish might want to sing. Oh, no, I'm sure he will, but you just adjust the keys and bring in the technology. <laughs> Does it count? You know, they all want to sing, mate. doesn't mean they can. Yeah. Look at yeah. Coverdale. Yeah. You know, I, I would never. Yeah, uh, tape, yeah. <laughs> Here I go again <laughs> on my tape. Or, or you know, we, we did the meatloaf thing last week. Yeah. And we forgot. I, I wanted to mention it, and I forgot because it's more about Jim, obviously. But I was going to say, I was surprised Meat didn't die first because mm. he's also been very ill. Which reminded me of that clip that you can still see on YouTube, where he because Meat had collapsed on stage yeah. a few times throughout his career. Part it's kind of the of, show. Part of the show. Um, and he's in the middle of "I would do anything for love, but I won't do that." And he literally collapses. He hits the deck. Yeah. He's out. But you can still hear "I would do anything," and the singers are all going with it. And then yeah. they realise he's is yeah. he dead? Turn you it know. off. Turn it off. They're literally like. Cut it, cut it, cut it. Oh, we'll do... No, no, no. It's amazing. He was on the deck. He was still... Yeah. He was the ultimate trooper. Even as he was unconscious. he was singing, I would do it. He'd been dead for two minutes on the stage and he was still... singing. That's the mark of the man. He's a trooper. (laughs) If there was a gig... Yes. And they do it like they used to do it. Start with the thieving magpie. And then he's the sooty puppy out. Do you remember that? Out the curtain. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they would come out. But here's what they do. So here I am once more. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, that would be good. That, to me, would be the ultimate. In the playground of the... And the thing is, when they're going, he can't sing anymore, like, he doesn't fucking have to. They no, sing. the last time I saw him, which was years ago, at Fish Solo, he, vir- he virtually spoke the whole gig. But he doesn't have to sing, because no. if Fish comes out with Marillion and goes, so here... Oh, that's as far as he gets before the, the, the crowd the other, take yeah, over. The other demand I've got is he's got to wear the makeup. <laughs> he's got to do the, the makeup. Got to do it properly if you're going to do it. I, I was talking to him about. I interviewed him a few months ago when his his final album came out, and I uh, was asking him about that. And um, he said he he didn't just take it. Didn't come out one night without it on. It was little by little. Yeah, that's right. It was. Yeah. He said, um, and then the thing that kind of got under his skin, not the only thing, but one of the things that kind of helped tip it, was he. They were in New York or somewhere doing a show, and and Gene Simmons came to the show. This is the Fugazi period. Yeah, and uh, they no, they're opening for Rush. You know, anyway, Gene Simmons comes, and um, afterwards, doing? Gene is talking to Fish because obviously Gene just gravitates, you know, towards the star. You yeah, know? and Fish said one of the first things Gene said to him was, "I I hope you've copyrighted." Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Fish goes, "No." no. We well, used to. It was different, every, different night. every night. Yeah, yeah. And Gene was like, "No, I copyrighted the yeah. kiss look years ago. Yeah. You must do that because we all want to walk around." Looking, yeah, yeah. Like, like. Well, there's a lot of people that do, but I think Fish at that point was saying the thought that I would cop, you know, yeah, so that no one else could look like me, yeah. even yeah. though I look different every night. The yeah. whole thing had become absurd. Yeah, but he did grow that big beard, didn't he? From this place, he had the big beard. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. Yeah, not in the him. videos, because he was still in Berlin making yeah, the album. Yeah, he was, you know, with the, the By wife. the time the tour started, he had a big bushy beard oh. and a headband. Yes, so yeah, you're probably right, actually. And he wore, the, he wore the sort of yellow T-shirt thing. I remember that, yeah. 
I'm sure you were, you know, you kind of gone out. Are of you that. not getting yellow t shirt yeah, confusion? I could be, maybe. Are you I saying I look like fish? Fish. When he's in Berlin, that's their real because that's when he's with um Tammy. Tammy in the video. Who was yeah. the star yeah. of the Kaylee video. That's right. In the, that's why I just said in the video. Well, you said the video. The it video, could have been the what video are the, for supper's ready, couldn't it? Fucking it's the video for Kaylee when they're going along the fence and trailing yeah, their the hands one. together. Yeah. yeah. She was in more than one video. Yeah, she probably was. She was in Lady Nina. She yeah, where did all the and Lady Nina's I heard oh, Lady Nina's about a whore. Yeah, I was going to say there's definitely a story. Tammy was in the video. And Lady Lady Nina the 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 Club. The club. We, it was called Lady Nina's. Lady Nina's. Where I believe right, Tammy yeah. worked. Yes. As a um what do you call those ladies that come and sit with you and have a drink? Hostess. A hostess! That's the word I was Hostess with the mostest, for. like Anthea Redfern. Anthea, give us a twirl. No, it wasn't like Anthea. Anthea Redford. On Bruce, Bruce Falsoff. Oh, yeah. Who she was, was the hostess, was wasn't she? Turner. Oh, uh, not her. Hmm. No, no. Would but anyway, know? no, she worked in the club, didn't she? Tammy worked in the club. She did, she did. And Fish offered to take me and Ray Palmer there. Yeah. And it got to five in the morning. And Ray, of course, is still up for going. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, of course no, I'm, he go, is. I'm going to bed. And Fish yeah. is like, I'm going to bed. And Ray's like, oh, not, not just a quick, just a quick drink, though, just a quick drink. So Fish literally pulls out his gold credit card and says to Ray, yeah, I'll take that, you go. And Ray's like, oh, no, obviously thinking about it. Mick, what do you think? I'm like, I'm going to bed. Oh, OK. And he never shut up then for the rest of three days. Ray never shut up about how we should have gone to Lady Yeah, should have gone. five in the morning. Yeah, well, it was in full flow. Well, he loved the ladies, didn't yeah, he, Ray? Yeah, he did. He loved he to did. photograph them. He did. And talk to them. <laughs> He did. Now, um, we're coming close to the end of this episode. And Lady I feel, Nina, I feel, where did all the good times go? I, th- I feel Stephen Wilson deserves an entire episode to He himself. does. Well, let's talk a little bit. But just we really must. Briefly. We can't not mention him in a No, because he's Mr. Prog. In more days. ways than one. Because, you know, I said... Uh, That's why I said it. Summer, summer of 2018, I'm hanging out with them, and Stephen has remastered this and this. Yeah. And they were talking. Uh, I, I don't technical stuff. I'm not interested. But they're kind of going. Why didn't we? We could have done, you know. And 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 they're not arguing. They're discussing it. And and then the kind of the the, the final blow, the kind of knockout blow that ends a conversation, was Mark Kelly goes. Well, when I spoke to Stephen Wilson, he said. <laughs> oh, and at and that, that was point, like the, the went, casting vote. Yeah, it was like. Yeah. Well, I well, spoke if to Wilson Stephen, says it. I spoke to Stephen Wilson and what yeah. he said, and they went. Oh, okay, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. I thought, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Uh, a younger. Yeah. Well, I don't know how old and of he course, is. Stephen's worked with Tull. Yeah. Well, he, he's re, he's Crimson. remastered almost every noted progressive rock album. Do you know he's also outside remastered of Pink the Use Your Illusion albums for Guns and Roses? Oh, I didn't. I did not know that. Remastered Volume Four for Black Sabbath. Bloody, I don't think he even does it. I think he just they <laughs> send <laughs> they send it to him and he just waits a week and sends it back. Well, that would be the smart thing to yeah, do, but yeah. probably not. No, he probably Steve, doesn't. He's like a mad not. scientist. Of course doing he is. That, yeah. I mean, he actually yeah. improves these records. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sure he does, yeah. Or um, he gets all the kind of old crap off it, yeah. So, um... He's like a guy who does those paintings, you know, when you get a... <laughs> An old master, and they do get a little bit of bit of alcohol they on the end of it their and touch it up. yeah, the end of their their earbud thing. Strip and they, it back. Yeah, they just uh, just did a little bit. I just did a tiny bit there and a tiny bit there. Just a little bit of blue. Yeah, here. yeah, a little bit of blue. It's what I did over here. A little bit of green. Yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> over here, a little bit of red. That's what he does. He and does that, the that yellow t-shirt you're wearing. Fish, that. Little bit of that. Yeah, just there. a bit of done that. He, he, that's what he did. He um so. Interesting. It's kind of like a. It's really interesting now because it's not just the fans. It is the artists that preceded Stephen, who made the records that he bought growing up. Yeah. You know, Stephen was at the very, very first ever Marillion gig. Wow. Before there was even Fish. Wow. And um, uh, and and was a big fan like you. He went to all the early stuff yeah. and. Uh, and 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 here we are, cut to twenty eighteen. So what is that? A and he's years? he's calling the fucking shots completely. They're yeah. all deferring to him. Yeah, as you know, Robert Fripp, Ian Anderson, all yeah. these people. 
because he knows his onions. I mean, he's done he's done so many bewildering number of pro projects from kind of sort of over fifty. Uh, different, yeah, I mean, uh, you sort of say power prog really with with porcupine tree. Down to, well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think they're a lot heavier than a lot of prog bands, Porcupine Tree. I suppose they had a prog metal aspect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love them. I think they're great. But I, I, I can see why he then, when he made Insurgentes and um, what was Grace for Drowning, completely different, completely different to Porcupine Tree and lead him down this solo path that he's on now. I think also Porcupine Tree were a truly progressive group in the sense that they weren't... It's like saying, I'm going to form a country and western group, or I'm going to form a rockabilly group, or I'm going to form a, a, a power pop group and put on a suit, you know. So much of what we call prog, for me, these days, is imitative, imitative, is that yeah, the word? Yeah, Of a scene that was trying not to imitate anybody. The whole point was you've never heard anything like this before. And I think Stephen and Porcupine Tree um, didn't do that. Yeah. They, they, were, yeah. they, they would have fitted in just fine in the late 60s, early 70s, um, because they certainly didn't do widdly widdly keyboards. They did have a much heavier guitar, but I still feel the tracks were coming from the right place, if you like. This is what prog really should sound like in yeah. the 21st century. Yeah. And again, he, I, you know, I'm not... Because it doesn't sound like the 70s. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure you know him way better than I do. Well, I don't know him at all, but you know him way better than I do. What is implicit... But I heard that... And, and this is... I think this is what got me interested in him in the first place. Apart from the fact I reviewed Insurgentes when it came out. And I didn't really know much about him at all, but I thought it was amazing. I thought yeah. it was a really, really oh, interesting, interesting great artist. record. Um, but uh, was that he based parts of, I think it's Fear of a Blank Planet on Luna Park by Brett Easton Ellis, Absolutely. which is one of my favourite books. And I was like, oh, wow, I've got to hear this, you know. <laughs> and what parts did he base on it? What bits did he take? You know, what's all that about? So, yeah, I, I was like, oh, yeah, that's up my street. He, he he grew up a huge Marillion fan, and like a lot of us, went. It sounds like and, me and Steve would get on. It sounds like you. I'm surprised he yeah. doesn't live in I'm your part of the I'm world. I'm surprised he's he's not sitting over from me now, <laughs> so I, we could have a sensible conversation. So Stephen Wilson, right? Stephen Wilson, when you next speak to Stephen Wilson, <laughs> tell him you thought Anthony Phillips was a drummer. And see how much longer your relationship with Stephen it's Wilson lasts. It's funny you should say because I was just thinking how much better it would be, you know, <laughs> if he was sitting opposite <laughs> me, you know. Um, yeah. But to, because we're running out of time, we will oh. do a whole episode on Stephen. But for my money, and I, I'm sure you'll agree with me. Um, I'm not sure I will <laughs> at all. <laughs> I'm sure you will when you hear my tremendously interesting statement. Um for me, if progressive rock, as we tend to think of it, is alive and well, it is in the singular form of Stephen Wilson because not just all those incredible albums he did with Porcupine Tree, who were literally poised to become you know, like the next Pink Floyd, pretty much yeah. all junctures of their career, but right up to the end, you know, their final shows at Royal Albert Hall sold out, 5,000 people, Radio City Music Hall in New York, 6,000 sold out. You know, the next step would have been Megadon. That was certainly yeah. the path. And he walked away. Another group that lost its singer, except the singer was the group. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so where Stephen is at now, it's great that you mentioned Kate Bush, by the way, which, again, we should we should... Individualise. Absolutely. Yeah. Because when Stephen and I talk about, we've been working on a book together. Right. Stephen's book. And when we talk about progressive rock, great rock music, of course Pink Floyd, of course all those ones we've talked about. But he also mentions always Kate Bush. What was I say? It sounds like Stephen should be sitting over <laughs> there. And I should be. And yeah, you get yeah. a sensible podcast. Yeah, well... You, you, like I say, we, 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 we'll never we can, know. We'll never know. We'll know. never know until I get him here next week. Yeah. And then, and then so, we'll know. Yeah, he'll be knocking on the windows. Where's the fucking book, mate? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so Stephen Wilson is not just the future, he's the immediate past and present. Yeah, yeah all right, you've got the deal for the book. Yeah. <laughs> no, fuck off. I'm not he joking, is. No, you're right. he is the real he, deal. He, I, he is, I agree, I agree. Before we go, Before we, we go, must oh, mention, you... because we're, we're blessed, aren't we, John? We're blessed <laughs> in the sense that I'm, we've finally been a, sent a, a couple con- of scraps a, of merch. A container ship has docked. <laughs> Well, we've got two T-shirts, one very small, which yeah. I assume is for you, yeah. and one on the... This is the get... We should, say, the the, we, we should say this is the Get Your Rocks Off merch, www.getyourrocksoff.com. Get Your Merch? No, get, get Your Merch.com. Merch. Look it up. Google it. Google it, motherfuckers. Yeah. But well, I'm holding... saying that we're light on detail. I'm holding... Outrageous. I mean, the... As far as I'm concerned, the UK COVID vaccination programme can end now. <laughs> because I'm holding the ultimate deterrent in you my are, hands. You are. A get the your rocks off with off. Mick Wall. It's, yeah, this Face is smart. Apparently, I'm told all of the merchandise bears this logo. Of course, that's the name of the podcast. Says, get John. your rocks off with Mick Wall. And guess. I even turned it over to the inside. <laughs> I even turned it over to the inside of the panties. And it doesn't even say on the gusset with John Horton. No, no, it doesn't say that anywhere. It doesn't say it anywhere. I think it, you'll find if you look carefully, just you got a won't s- find that anywhere. It's just got a stupid skull mm. with a no, microphone. No, beautiful skull. Yeah. I chose that personally. Yeah. Because it looks like me. Yeah, it does a bit. <laughs> and also, before we go, I read a fantastic review of the podcast, just literally just this morning. Oh, really? Yeah. Who's it by? You make Stephen Wilson. A one-star review. <laughs> and the headline is... Fuck off. Boring old rubbish. <laughs> and, and it, and it starts, That's a good if, headline. If you want to hear two old Englishmen yeah, telling a... their boring shit stories, this is the podcast for you. And I thought, John, you don't need to write no. reviews. <laughs> I, think you'll, I think you'll find that was my old chum <laughs> Nicky Six wrote that one. <laughs> You mean your old friend... Um, oh, yeah, Larry Mazer. No, no, your old friend si- Matthew Tripp. Matthew Tripp's dead. Don't say... <laughs> don't, don't be talking about my dead friends. Did he used to live in uh, Millionaire's no, Row? No, he, he sadly didn't. He lived in some trailer park I in bet Florida. Nicky lives there, though, when he's in town. Nicky, I, I, I have no contact with Nicky Six. I don't... Oh, you're not. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I, yeah. Me and Nicky, we're good. Yeah. We're oh, good. yeah. Good. I'm glad. Good. Good. <laughs> right. So, have we come to the end of another scintillating podcast? I think it's fizzled out. <laughs> and then here comes Anthony Phillips. If you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to leave us a review, share it with a friend, or plain old subscribe wherever you listen to it. To get you some conversation online, follow us on Twitter at GetcherPod. Until next time. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want.